Eagles Entertainment. Our thing is uh, everybody's somebody. And, and most people don't know how well they can do something until they really test themselves. In 1976, Coach Dick Vermeil landed in Philadelphia. The young coach was now responsible for one of the worst teams in the NFL. Jimmy Murray said, Coach, you come and turn this program around, you'll be bigger than John Wayne in Philadelphia. That's what he says. That's exactly what he said. 46 years later, Coach Vermeil is a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But Vermeil was not an overnight success. This season on Return Game, Coach Vermeil, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation, we're taking you through the twists and turns of his legendary career. We go back to the beginning, Hillsdale High School and UCLA. First saw Dick Vermeil as our coach in the summer of 1960 for summer practices. And it was obvious from the very beginning that this was going to be a new experience. Players win games, not coaches. We were uh, going into the Rose Bowl, the uh, biggest underdog, I think, in the history of the Rose Bowl. To his years with the Philadelphia Eagles. That was a hostile place that the Cowboys walked into. I was taking my headset off, you know, and the game is over, I'm like this, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose. And I can remember Coach Vermeil on the sideline, walking up to guys and hugging them and saying, we're going to the Super Bowl. I said, Len Jim, I'm just burnt out. I need to take a break. Then, after 15 years away from the sideline, he returns to coach the Rams. I was so confident. This football team was unbeatable. I thought we caught some lightning in the bottle, I'm gonna be honest with you. I remember looking up and seeing a big billboard that said, good luck coach, and had Dick Vermeil's face on it. He finally reached the mountaintop, but he just couldn't walk away. I started thinking, oh God, maybe I made a mistake. And I just remember seeing this little gray-haired, white-haired man with glasses on TV, crying at the podium all the time. Every week he'd come running out of the tunnel at the end and he'd run up the sidelines and he'd always wave up to the booth to Carol. Over six episodes, it's an in-depth look at Coach Ramil's life, career, and legacy. Hear stories from Coach Ramil, Randy Cross, Herm Edwards, Ron Jaworski, Isaac Bruce, Kurt Warner, Dante Hall, and many, many more. If you work real hard and invest a lot of hours in getting better and you're an unselfish person and you do what you're asked to do as hard as you can do it every day on the practice field, well, Sunday it becomes just part of your personality. Subscribe now so you don't miss a minute of Return Game, Coach for Meal, presented by Novacare Rehabilitation. Listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another day, and the Eagles are two and zero as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number four ten. At the top of today's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell to share our thoughts on a decisive, dominant victory in primetime Monday Night Football, the home opener under the lights, 
The Eagles come away 24-7 over the visiting Minnesota Vikings. What happened in that game? We catch up with Greg. A little bit of an abbreviated episode this week, obviously with the schedule change, but we will cover everything uh, that there is to cover between this episode and the episode later this week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. But Greg brings some great insight into what he saw from Monday's win over Minnesota and previews Sunday's matchup against the Washington Commanders. We'll get into it all here at the top of the show. Before we get there, a couple things I want to make sure we hit on. Number one, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a review, subscribe if you're not already. Uh, make sure you check out the Journey to the Draft podcast. Myself, Ben Fennell, Dane Brugler, we were talking through uh, the, the, week, the week that was in college football this week. Some great games, some great players making some strides. Who are going to be the, the first-round picks uh, when it's all said and done here? We actually talked with, uh, with Ella DiGiovanni about some sleepers in round one at the end of the show. So make sure you go check that out uh, over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. Again, the Eagles right now still have two first-round picks, their own and the New Orleans Saints here uh, in this upcoming NFL draft. Uh, also, be sure to go check out uh, my All-22 review, all the plays that Greg and I are talking about here on this show. Well, I break it all down over on the All-22 Review. You can check it out on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and all of the Eagles social channels. That said, uh, let's get into it. Excited to catch up with Greg here and get his thoughts on what he saw from the Monday night win. Let's get into it now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited to welcome in my good friend, Greg Cosell from NFL Films, to talk through as a big Eagles win, number one, here on Monday night against the Minnesota Vikings. Greg, you and I sat in the studio, talked about this matchup a week ago, and just how difficult it would be on both sides of the football. And uh, if this was a litmus <laughs> test for, the, for this Eagles team, uh, they were able to pass uh, that test uh, with flying colors. Both sides, I thought, executed really well-designed game plans on both sides. Plenty of stuff that we can get into and chew on here, but uh, we'll start on offense. Just general impressions, walking away from the tape and watching Jalen Hurts and this offense go on Monday night. Um, I would say that um, the Eagles were really efficient. Um, I thought their coaching staff had a really, really good feel for what they were going to get from Ed Donatel and his defense. And it was an extremely static defense by NFL standards. They literally sat in a split safety shell the entire game. They relied solely on a four-man rush. I thought the Eagles O-line was outstanding in pass protection and in, in run blocking. Uh, Hertz lived in secure, clean pockets. He could deliver with no pressure concerns. I thought the Eagles uh, coaching staff did an outstanding job using Hertz's legs. And when I say using his legs, I don't mean just having him run, but using the the threat and the weapon of his legs to to stress and challenge the Vikings defense, particularly on the edge. So in, in, in pretty much every way against a defense that by NFL standards was was kind of elementary, I thought the Eagles executed at a really high level. That was the thing. It's like you, you look in the, the opening script, and you know, even if you just look at like all right, the first 25, 30 plays, you saw pistol, you saw empty, you saw RPOs and play action, you saw screens, you saw tempo. Uh, you mentioned uh, all the things you saw from Hertz, uh, you know, with his legs in terms of getting him out of the pocket. You saw his ability to create. You saw the run game. There's just so many different elements. I thought the uh, all the mixing and matching, the play sequencing was awesome. You saw things that looked very similar. Uh, it was just I thought it was just a really really well executed game plan. Yeah, and, and look, I, not to take anything away from the Eagles, but. You know, I think that pretty much because I watch tape of, of just about every team in the league, most teams do these things on offense. Yep. The defense is totally static. 
it really is much easier to execute all these things you're doing. Um, and that was the case this week. So the the Eagles, you know, obviously they're they're getting they're trying to be as diverse as possible. Every offense in the league goes about offense that way. Um, I was just really surprised with with what I saw. Now it worked last week against the the Packers, so I'm sure the Vikings felt that they could pretty much line up and play the same way, but. But their defense was really static throughout the game, especially on the back end. I mean, you saw it, Fran. You watched the tape. It was they didn't really make any changes whatsoever. It was kind of a relatively easy defense to attack and break down. Um, the Eagles coaching staff had a great feel for it. Hertz executed it, the whole offense did at at a you know at a really good level. So it was just it was one of those performances that you just came away and you said, wow, that that was they were really sharp. As, as in my view, they should have been against that. Sure. And look, when you look at um, the outside from a schematic standpoint, and just now looking at the execution, uh, looking at Jalen Hurts, uh, one of the things that stood out to me, it was play 30, uh, Greg, in terms of looking at the, at the cutoff, play 30 before the ball hit the ground. It was on the 30th play when the right. ball hit the ground for the right. first time. Um, so, you know, Jalen uh, just really decisive, took care of the football, uh, executed that game plan against those coverages. Um, I, I thought he had a really strong performance here in week two. Yeah, I thought that the the third and 13 on the first possession to me in some ways set the tone for the game. That was the Brown 19-yard reception. I mean, the Vikings, you know, did their four-man rush. They played quarter-quarter half behind it. Um, They played halves to the passing strength in the two-by-two set. Hertz was totally clean in the pocket, and he hit Brown in the intermediate void to the half side of the coverage. And that, to me, that kind of set the tone for the whole game. Yeah, and when you look at uh, Jalen's ability to just kind of stay patient, work the middle of the field on that one, that was a throw between the hashes. Uh, yeah. A really good route from from AJ Brown. Also, good complimentary route from from Zach Pascal on that play as well. Uh, I think when you look at, uh, I I agree that was kind of a, a microcosm. They they kind of uh, just look at the way that the team was able to execute there. Uh, just a really good harbinger of what was to come. And the other point, you know, and I'm just to reiterate what I said a moment ago. I think his legs. They're a major part of the design of the Eagles offense because he puts tremendous stress on the edge of the defense with the RPO game, the zone read element, the design boot action game. There's so so much stress he puts on a defense, Um, you know, and as you know, because you saw the tape, his 27 yard touchdown run. I think it was 27 yards, 26 yards, 27. Yeah, something like that. 26. That was the exact same play as the Goddard 27 yard pass from last week against the Lions. Um, it was they were both on third and two this time last week used the alley defender stayed inside to play what he thought would be a run and he could not play Goddard on the quick flat route or whatever you want to call that route, sure, yep. flat route. this week Smith was the alley defender Harrison Smith a great player and he immediately went to Goddard on the flat route and because it's man coverage on third and two and the outside receiver I forget who it was just went inside taking the defender with him. Jalen just saw that the whole outside was clean, yeah. but it was the exact same play. They just got to it differently because on the one this week, Goddard crossed the formation um, at the snap, whereas last week he was already lined up there. Yeah, and the the third down conversion earlier in the game uh, to Zach Pascal, very very similar in terms yeah. of just the overall structure and the look, especially pre snap. Uh, yeah, you know, pistol set. Uh, it was Boston Scott in the backfield with uh, with uh, with Pascal kind of offset, but similar kind of look. And again, just kind of presenting different things. And no matter what, if you if you execute well, the defense yeah, Hurt, can't be right. Yeah, Hurts moved again on that. They yeah. use his 
his legs really, really well. Look, we know he can run and make plays outside of structure, but I think within the context of their offense, they use his legs really well. Yeah. Uh, let's get over to the defensive side of the football where, once again, Greg, I mean, uh, you talk about, all right, well, Justin Jefferson, you, you have to be able to lock him down. Kirk Cousins, you have to be able to pressure him. That offensive line uh, is improved. The Eagles, were able to, the Eagles were able to check all these boxes. Uh, what did you see in terms of the plan to kind of limit Justin Jefferson here in this contest? Um, I think, you know, th- there were multiple parts to yes. it. I thought that they – you know, obviously they played zone, but when they did play man, Slay played him, and Slay predominantly played off man coverage. And I thought he was really, really outstanding playing off man coverage. Yeah, I, I, I thought he gave a clinic because the thing that Slay did so well, and it's hard to do when you have a receiver like Jefferson who's such a strider and can get on top of you, is Slay never got out of his pedal. He was so and patient. He, yep. He was so patient. He never turned his body because as soon as you turn your body, you give the receiver an indicator because once you turn your body, there are certain things you can't do. Your body just won't allow you to do them. And he never turned his body, and that allowed him to plant and drive. And there were there were a number of plays where he was in man where the ball was not thrown to Jefferson where I thought Slay just played him exceptionally well. Yep. Um, and then when they were in zone, um, I don't know. Maybe you know more than I do. I don't know every single tweak that they do, you know, but I thought that there was one time where um, Jefferson went in Zen motion um, and um, I thought that Edwards got his eyes run, right on him. Through route. And yep, it, sure. Yeah. And, and he ran the over route, which yep. when you think about running over routes with Jefferson against a linebacker, you think, OK, that's a mismatch. But Edwards just he's. He obviously was coached up to be aware of that, but he literally retreated right away. So he wasn't taken by surprise and he had no problem running with him. And obviously the ball wasn't thrown, but I thought there were a number of times where they did such a good job defensively that Cousins was forced to go elsewhere. It was a, you know, that play reminded me of Greg. Remember when the Eagles played the Steelers a couple of years ago and Chase Claypool had that game winning touchdown on the through route where he got matched up against Nate Gary? And it was like, You're oh, yeah. the seam ball late in the game. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it was yeah. a very similar kind of, you had that yeah. late throw, that late motion. Uh, yeah. It created the matchup. And TJ Edwards, I mean, he, he matched it perfectly. Now, uh, obviously, there are other factors to play. The ball didn't go to Jefferson on that one. But uh, again, just kind of uh, look at full team execution. And we said it would be a full team effort. It wasn't just going to be Slay versus Jefferson uh, here in this one. It wasn't. No, and in fact, there were obviously there were man-to-man snaps, but they didn't play man on every snap, and they did not have Slay match up to him man-to-man on every snap. You know, I I would bet, and I didn't chart it. I don't know if you did. I would bet maybe there were eight or nine, ten maybe snaps in which he truly matched up man-to-man. Where you said, okay, that's the matchup. Um, But other than that, it was it was a you know a combination of things. But they did a really good job. Um, You know, again. People can have their own opinions about Kirk Cousins, but I did not think right from play one he was sharp mentally or physically. No, I think the pressure definitely affected him uh, here yeah. in this game. And I think, as you mentioned, it was a variety of coverages, uh, not just, you know, catered towards Jefferson, but just overall in the game. And so uh, it felt like most of the snaps, regardless of which side of the field uh, uh, Jefferson was on, Slay was to that side. He didn't shadow him into right. the slot, but lined up to that side. So you saw both he and Bradbury go between both left corner and right corner. But I think with all the different uh, coverage concepts they ran, I mean, there was uh, straight cover one, as you mentioned. There was uh, you know, a lot of the, the cover four and cover six but we also right. saw especially on third down a couple of uh of the pure like cover one with double teams assigned to uh assigned to justin jefferson where it was marcus well, Epps playing over top with with slay underneath 
Well, they essentially played two man and they just cheated to Jefferson. Yep. So Slay could undercut it. Yep. Now there was one actually where Jefferson broke wide open, and I forget the result of the play. Um, but there was one that where was he the sack. That was the sack fumble on Fletcher Co for Fletcher Cox. That is that is correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yes, yes. That, that you're exactly right. It was third and 10 in the fourth quarter. And, you know, the thing is, is Jonathan Gannon started to increase the, the pressure frequency in the fourth quarter. I mean, he went back to back zero blitz. You know, Slay should have had an interception on the first one and the interception <laughs> on the next one. You know, so, I mean, it was just, you know, it was the kind of game where you could tell that the that Jonathan Gannon and the Eagles defense just increased their confidence as the game progressed because they were playing well. Yeah, and another part of this too, Greg, was um, once again the run defense was outstanding. You know, you mixed yep. up uh, personnel packages and looks. I mean, to me, like uh, very first play of the game, you know, we saw a lot of those bare fronts last week against Detroit, but a lot of that came from that base personnel set with Jordan Davis in as the nose tackle. You had five defensive linemen out in the field. First play of the game here, uh, the Eagles in a little bit of a lighter set from a personnel standpoint but still came out in that bare look on first and 10. They were able to get the run side. I mean, Dalvin Cook was a non-factor throughout yeah. this game. Just the, the run defense overall, really, really strong, and it, and it put Minnesota behind the eight ball, often in drives. Yeah, no question. I mean, it was a really strong performance overall. Um, you know, I, I guess the thing that struck me the most, I, well, I, first of all, Slay obviously played really good football. Yeah. I thought that Sweat and Edwards played really, yes. really well. Those yeah. were two guys that really stood out to me. But overall, I thought the Eagles defense was very disciplined, very assignment sound. I would almost say that they did not dominate in any one area. I mean, Slay had great individual snaps, um, but I thought they played with awareness and higher level execution snap after snap. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just a really fun game uh, on both sides of the football here. Uh, plenty to break down, plenty of takeaways, and we'll continue covering it here uh, throughout the week uh, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Uh, Greg, trying to kind of turning our attention forward here to the Washington Commanders. Um, this is a team, I'll, looking at their offense, we'll stay with the Eagles defense here. Uh, a pass game that, uh, you know, they've been able to make some plays. I think Scott Turner is one of the more underrated yeah. play callers and game uh, game plan designers uh, in the league, and they've been able to create some, some, uh, some offense Offense here in the past game. Yeah, uh, you know, I think they've they've been high eleven personnel. I think that number is probably a little skewed because they got behind last week against the Lions. But I would expect they'll be an eleven personnel as sort of their foundational personnel package. Um, I think they've done a really nice job from a formation standpoint, use of personnel. Curtis Samuel has become an intriguing player. Uh, they at times can use Antonio Gibson in the pass game in an intriguing way. We saw that week one against the Jags they, when they ran a flood concept, and he was actually the intermediate receiver coming out of the backfield. A uh, very interesting concept, a very interesting deployment of that concept. Um, so, you know, th they have two really good wideouts in McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, the rookie. Um, I went back and took a look, and in the in the two games last year, uh, which I believe were week 15 and week 17, Slade did travel mostly with McLaurin. It'll be interesting to see if that's still the case, how the Eagles feel about Dotson, who's really does not look like a rookie. I mean, he really looks like a, a pretty poised, aware, refined, subtle route runner. So we'll see how the Eagles choose to play it. Um, but this is a good passing offense. You know, I think their offensive line, that's where I think there could be potentially be a concern for the commanders in this game and perhaps an Eagles advantage. 
Yeah, I think when you look at just the, the, what the what is the identity of this pass game, I mean, they were top five in play. They were number one in play action a year ago. They're top five uh, so far. I think those numbers even yep. skewed, like you mentioned, because of uh, them playing from behind so much uh, this past week. But I think when you look at they're heavy in RPO. They're also number four right now. They're, they're in the top five uh, in bunch percentage, Greg. And I have to check this based off of last night's games, off the Monday night games. Um, but through, uh, through Sunday – Curtis Samuel actually led the league in in catches and targets coming out of bunches and stacks. So I think when you look at uh, the way that they move Samuel around, he caught a touchdown out of the backfield this week. Uh, that, yep. That's going to be a big test. I mean, he is their leading target getter. He's got 18 targets already uh, through two games, Great. I mean, Antonio Gibson's got 12. McLaurin only has 10. So uh, clearly Samuel has kind of established himself so far uh, as maybe the focal point of that pass game. No, they have a lot of weapons. And like you said, bunch, bunch, there's – there's multiple ways defensively to play a bunch, and they'll, the Eagles will go over that all week. Um, and you have to be aware of it. I mean, if you, it, it depends whether you're playing man or zone. Obviously, if you're playing man, then you have to decide whether you're going to stay with your man. You're going to play re- releases, in which case you might switch um, from your initial look. You know, but you don't want to get caught where one guy's doing one thing and another guy's doing another thing. You know, if you're playing zone, it's obviously a lot different um, because you're not necessarily reacting, jumping routes. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how the Eagles choose to play it. But no, they have a lot of weapons. They've got a good passing game. Um, they've lost their center, so that'll be yeah, interesting. Really out, yep. So it'll be a backup center. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think that's one area where the Eagles will feel that they can take advantage because you do want to get pressure on Carson Wentz. We know when he's under pressure that uh, it can be problematic if he's comfortable. I mean, he made some really, really good throws. He's made really good throws in both the first two games, but we know that when you get him under pressure, that sometimes bad things can happen. I was actually just going to ask you, uh, what your overall takeaways after watching Carson the last two weeks out in Washington? I think it's been good. I think he's made some really good throws. I mean, he's thrown three picks, but I don't think they were really his fault in a strict sense. Mm. You know, one was a phenomenal play by the rookie Trayvon Walker um, two weeks ago. And the other interception that week was just an inaccurate throw, not a bad read or a stupid play, just an inaccurate throw on an out route that he threw too far inside. And this week, the interception, he just threw the right throw on a seam ball that was just a touch high. And it went off the hand of his receiver and was intercepted. So he hasn't made throws where you go, oh, my God, where are those going? He's actually been pretty sharp. For the most part, I think he's been pretty accurate through two games, uh, and he's made some excellent throws. I thought the touchdown two weeks ago to McLaurin down the field was a great throw. Yeah, he's definitely made some. Look, you look in the second half, uh, one of the reasons why they were able to come back in that game this past week against Detroit was that passing offense. Uh, Certainly some well-designed plays, but Carson Wentz and those receivers uh, executing as well. But the run game has not been a a huge, huge factor for them so far. It's been primarily zone running, uh, a little bit different than what we saw uh, this past week with the Minnesota Vikings. But uh, also, I mean, honestly, a lot of their chunk plays, they've come in more of like the gadgety stuff, the the reverses and end arounds. We've seen plenty of trickeration from this offense the last two weeks, but uh, that has been the, the the big chunk of where they've kind of gained yards on the ground. Yeah, but they've not really had a, a sort of a conventional run game no. that's worked for the first two weeks. And that's a concern because, you know, then you get caught up in, in being in a lot of long yardage situations or throwing the ball too much. Um, and, you know, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see how they approach playing the Eagles defense with their O-line. Look, the, um, the Eagles defensively they play a lot of five-man fronts 
we'll see if they continue to do that. They play, I mean, that I, I don't know what the numbers are compared to the rest of the league, but they play a lot of five-man fronts, a lot of five-one. Although this week they even in five-man fronts, they actually had four-two personnel on the field and had White line up the linebacker line up as an edge rusher a yep. couple of times. What do you, what do you make of what is the what are the pros and cons of doing that, Greg? Because that was something again I, I talked about earlier. They did that on the very first play of the game. You saw a lot more of Kaiser White as an over as an overhang defender and sugared up yeah. inside you know, up on the line of scrimmage. Well, I think there's there's two ways to look at it. It, it depends on the down and distance situation. Yeah. If you're doing that in a what you believe is a run situation for the offense, then obviously you've got five on the ball defenders. Um, it, it's tougher for the offensive line to create leverage in, and blocking angles and double teams. So, you know, you do it for the run game um, because then if, if you're doing it against base personnel in the run game, you can play a 5-2 front and still have two stack backers. Now, if you're doing it in the pass game, um, one thing you're really looking for is you do it because you want one-on-one matchups. Mm. Because if you have five, essentially five pass rushers, that dictates for the most part, nothing's 100%, but for the most part, it dictates one-on-one matchups with the O-line versus the D-line. And you obviously feel you may have an advantage with certain matchups. You can move people around if you choose to. You know, you can move a defensive end inside against a guard. You know, so that's the reason a lot of teams do that, again, you know, on, in passing situations. Because obviously you lose a defender. So a lot of teams, when they go five with five D-linemen, Fran will play man coverage because if you're playing zone, you lose a defender and, you know, therefore there's more voids. It's fascinating, too, because, you know, I mentioned they did a lot early in this game. And uh, early on in those passing situations, Minnesota wasn't necessarily respecting Kaiser White as an actual rusher. And they were not, I wouldn't say ignoring it, but not necessarily saying, okay, we need to make sure that uh, we are addressing this right at the snap. But as the game went on, the, the, the tone kind of changed a little bit as the pressure looks uh, started to heat up. And it wasn't always White that was rushing, but the, the no. thought of having a linebacker up on the line of scrimmage was like, all right, we have to account for this. No, and, and that's the thing. You know, when, when there's five guys on the ball in a passing situation, you can't say, well, gee, I'm not going to account for him. Yeah, right. You, know, you can't do that. So the, it, it kind of dictates protection. That's what you're trying to do because you know what the protection is going to look like. Um, I think there were a couple of times where they did that and then Edwards rushed as well yep. and someone drops out. But, you know, you can't change your protection in the middle of the play. So, you know, you get a free rusher. And that happened a number of times. I, I thought um, – you know, that the Eagles, it'll be interesting to see going forward um, because I thought this was a really good game for the Eagles defense in terms of what Gannon did and whether that continues, you know, because look, the game was such that you were in charge of the game. The offense put you in charge of the game and you could do more things. You know, you didn't have to feel, I'm not saying you want to give up a big play. No one does, but I'm sure you felt, Hey, if we happen to give up a bigger, more explosive type play, that's not necessarily going to change the whole game. Yeah. And honestly, it was when you look at the way everything was difficult for Minnesota in this game, yeah. you know, some of their drives, was, you know, there, there was one drive in the second half, they went 12 plays, Greg, and they didn't cross midfield. Like it just, everything was yeah. just a slog for that offense. And you're just gambling at that point saying, uh, if you're the defense, you're, you're not going to be able to go for, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 plays and continue to score time and time again. No. And th- those turnovers happened uh, in that game. And it obviously worked uh, to the Eagles' favor from that respect. So um, I wonder, you know, the only thing, it would have been interesting to see if the game would have been different if Smith caught that ball at the end the of the first, first half. Because yep. that would have been a touchdown. 
Sure, yeah, that would have been a touchdown. That's one of those things where uh, you know C.J. Gardner-Johnson, I think he'd like that angle back uh, that he took yeah. uh, to the no catch point. But that's no one question. of those things that you're going to live with, right, with a guy that's making that move to safety. He hasn't played a ton of safety the last couple of years. He did it in Florida. But, uh, again, just kind of getting adjusted to playing from that depth, the angle's a little bit different. He's not used to necessarily uh, taking that same angle uh, to the catch point. Yeah, I think one other player before we wrap up that I'd like to mention, I thought played really well. And I just like his awareness. I like his understanding. I think for his size, he's physical. And that's Avanta Maddox. Yeah, we had a good game as well. I, I thought agree. he played really well. I thought, you know, I thought he did an excellent job playing deep to short as the flat defender in zone concepts, not just on the interception, but there were a couple of other plays where he did that really well. That's the way it's taught. He forced you the know, check down a no, number of times uh, in those yeah, two level concepts. and that's the way it's taught because it's, it's much easier to play forward with confidence than backwards with panic. Yeah, uh, real quick, Greg, uh, the, the Washington defense hasn't played super well uh, through no, these uh, first couple of games. Uh, look, Chase Young has been hurt. I know Jonathan Allen was banged up. They're missing Cameron Curl. Uh, they've had some inconsistent play from some of the young players as well. Um, but uh, overall, just uh, thoughts on this defense, what they're going to bring, what are the Eagles going to see here on Sunday afternoon? Yeah, they've not played particularly well. You kind of hit it right on the head. They're another team that plays a ton of five-man fronts yep. with their line. They play 5-1 with Holcomb, the only linebacker. Um, you know, I think it's it's safe to say based on tape study that they've not gotten what they had hoped up to this point from Jamin Davis. Um as a second linebacker, given his size, his length, his athletic traits. Um, so, you know, they've, they've tried to play to what appears to be a strength. Now they use him more as a, as a pass rusher. Yep. Um, you know, this week the Eagles played a ton out of 11 personnel. We'll see if they continue that. If they play 12 out of 12 personnel, you're going to get either David Mayo in the game. You're going to get perhaps big nickel with Butler, the safety. So, We'll see how they choose to play. If the Eagles go more 12, they may not. Look, this is offense, you know, is turning into what could potentially be an explosive offense. Um, and they may stay with 11 because, uh, you know, it just works. Um, but I think the commanders defensively, um, they've been predominantly single high safety through two games, but they do yep. play significant snaps of split safety. Um, you know, they're, they're, it looks like their pressure percentage is high, but it's not really because to me, if they're going to line up with five D linemen and you rush five, I don't view that as a blitz. You know, yeah. I know that that different websites, you know, because it's five man rushes, they say that's a blitz. To me, that's not a blitz. So it makes it look like their pressure percentage is high, but it's just because they line up in with five D linemen. This past week, they had 26 snaps with five D linemen versus the Lions. Yep. Yeah, it's something it's something to watch. I mean, they do run a, a lot of stunts. They're like top five in the yeah. NFL uh, in stunts. You'll see get some plenty of that post snap movement. They're also they're getting they're getting pressure on the quarterback in terms of pressure percentage. You know, QB hit percentage, all those kind of metrics uh, do weigh heavily uh, in their favor. So you you can expect that. Week one, Deron Payne was awesome. Jonathan Allen was really really good. I thought week two they it was a little bit inconsistent. They didn't really turn it up until the second half. But uh, those are matchups that the Eagles will have to account for uh, in this game. Deron. Payne, Jonathan Allen uh, on the inside, some of those bull rushes, Greg. Uh, that will be a big matchup for certain uh, as we get into this matchup. Yeah. But, um, Greg, uh, this has been great. Thanks so much for taking some time with us on a Tuesday uh, to go through this Eagles win over the Minnesota Vikings and preview Sunday's matchup. We'll be back next week here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. 
Great stuff there from Greg. Thanks to him, and thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you later this week.